So we're going to be in Psalms 133 this morning. If you want to look along with me as I read it. Psalms 133 says, A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessings, life forevermore. Go ahead and be seated. This morning, you might guess our, our topic, our subject is going to be a unified team. Unified team. So there was a, uh, a loaded minivan pulled into the only remaining campsite, and four children leaped from the vehicle and began feverishly unloading gear and setting up the tent. The boys rushed to gather firewood while the girls and their mother set up camp, the camp stove and the cooking utensils. A nearby camper marveled to the youngster's father. That, sir, is some display of teamwork. The father replied, I have a system. No one goes to the bathroom until the camp is set up. <laughs> and, you know, we think about summertime. We're all coming back from vacations or going on vacations. Is there anything that, that's more heartfelt than that unified team, that time when you're unified together? So we're in Psalms 133. And if you look at the very first few words in that, it says, Song of Ascents. So you'll notice that if you look to the next one, chapter 134, you'll see it says Song of Ascents as well. Then 135, it doesn't say it anymore. Because there's 10 or 15 psalms that are the psalms of ascents, 120 through 134. And these are, when the Israelites made their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs along the way. Some commentaries said that they were sung when they came back from captivity. Some said they were sung on the 15 steps leading up to the courtyard. But it's this idea of, of being together, movement, walking together, singing together. The junior high just got back from their retreat. And part of the retreat, we left the uh, campsite, or the, the part where we were sleeping, to hike up to where the, camping, uh, the campfire was. So about 9 o'clock at night, here's all these junior high students, and it's kind of dark out. And they have those little light things on. So you can't see anything as far as people. All you can see is these light things moving through the camp, heading up to the campfire. And that's the idea of this fellowship, hanging together, being together, and walking together. So now we'll look at the first verse out of these three verses in Psalms 133. We're going to look at Psalms 133 and then in 1 Samuel chapter 20. The first verse in the 133rd Psalm is one that we can relate to instantly. The next two verses... From American culture or from our North American culture, it's like, it's really hard to relate to somebody pouring salad oil all over your head. So the, the first verse is kind of easy to, to relate to. The first word in it we don't use, behold. You don't say, behold, the buzzer's going off in the dryer, will you please fold the clothes? <laughs> behold is not a word that we use. It means, wow, look at this. Wow, look at this. When we see unity, we take note of it. I was somewhere a few weeks ago, and I saw a couple, a dad and his son, and the son had an outward display, a teenager, an outward display of affection with his dad. Kind of had his arm around him and was just initiating, expressing affection towards his dad. I took note of that. You walk into a, a fast food place, and everybody's happy, and all the people working there, working together as a unified team, you kind of notice that. We notice it when people are unified. Um... In 1958, the United Manchester soccer team was such a united team. 
That was the team that um, eight of their players were killed, and they went on to continue playing. But they were such a united team. They had such camaraderie, such, such the coaches, the players loved the sport, loved the game, and they loved each other that they made a movie out of it. We take note when we see that there's a unified team. So in that, in that verse it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. John Corson makes a great comment on that. He said, some things are good, but they're not pleasant. Some things are pleasant, but they're not good. To go get your annual blood cholesterol test, is that a good thing? Yeah, right. I mean, you want to know, what, you want to know that your cholesterol is 200 and, or 370 or 450 or whatever it is. That's a good thing. Is it a pleasant thing? No, it's not a pleasant thing. Eating a 1,000-calorie container of Cherry Garcia ice cream, is that a pleasant thing? That's a pleasant thing. Is that a good thing? No, that's not a good thing. Dwelling together in unity is not only good, but it's pleasant. Dwelling together in unity, it's good and it's pleasant. As much as we enjoy peace and quiet, very few really want to be alone. Most of us thrive when we're part of a unified team. And the good news this morning is that God not only has that for us, if there's a lonely spell in our lives, he is right here, right now, wanting to guide us, direct us, give us wisdom, and bring us into a unified team. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says it so clearly. Spoken a lot of times at weddings, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Such a great uh, verse that's shared at weddings when it talks about the husband and the wife, and then the third cord, the Lord Jesus Christ, binding us together and giving us that great unity. Are there challenges to unity? Are there challenges to um, having a unified spirit? I guess I can let go of the other end of this cord now, right? Okay, <laughs> there we go. Are there challenges to uh, unity? In the, in, the, in the musical, The Music Man, when I first started dating my wife, my wife's family was really into musicals. And I don't know if you guys have seen The Music Man, but I must have watched that with her dad, who was the sweetest teddy bear of a guy, and her mom probably 50 times. And there's a scene in The Music Man where Robert Preston finds that the city council in the little town that they're in in the musical, they're always fighting. There's four guys on this council board, and they're always fighting. They can never get along. So he decides he's going to get them hooked up into a four-part barbershop quartet. And every time he runs into them and they're fighting about something that's going on in the city council, he'll say something like, good night, ladies, and they'll break out in a song, good night, ladies, and they're having this harmony. And so I ask the question, what is harmony? Because we're talking about unity. What is harmony? Um, harmony is when one person's singing one note, a different note, and someone's singing another note, a different note. Individually, maybe the bass note is not all that, that you know, amazing. But when all those notes are put together, the dictionary definition of harmony is that it's pleasing to the ear. And that's, if there's one thing that I would like to present this morning, it's that we have a hunger for the pleasure that God wants to give us as we have harmony, because it takes... It takes work to have, unified, to have a unified team. So he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The idea of dwelling together. We are an independent society. 
We are a society where everyone goes home to their own little TV, their own little dinner, their own little world, their own little experiences, and we all are individuals. And yet there are times in our church life and in our work life where we actually have opportunity to dwell together. Um, I thought about the men's retreat last year. We played Frisbee golf as guys. The guys never get together and play Frisbee golf. All the men, a lot of the men in the church, that was such a cool time to dwell together. The, 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 men's, the men's golf tournament's coming up. I mean, you have not, if you're thinking men's tournament like maybe real good golfers, you're thinking of the wrong church, okay? I have been on men's tournaments with our pastors where we got the golf cart stuck on top of a bush in the, at the golf course. So we're talking about fellowship and getting together and hanging out, and there's this richness to, to getting together. There's this dwelling together. The mission trip. We were headed to Panama, 17 of us. The flight to Panama was canceled. We spent two nights in Houston together, 17 of us. The airline covered all of the hotels, covered all the meal vouchers. We're sitting in the pool in Houston having our team meeting. And I'm thinking, this is great dwelling together. I could tell that the guys were kind of bored and they were done with the team meeting when they all started to sort of drift away in the pool. It was like, okay, the team meeting's over. But the whole idea and the whole point here is we're, we're, we're looking at dwelling together. We have at our church, we have so many rich times where we have fellowship. VBS week, vacation Bible school, five days of hanging out together. We have the ladies' Christmas dinner where all the ladies set up the tables, and there's this tremendous time of fellowship with the women's ministry. There's the sea meal. I could go on and on the times of camaraderie. But it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity, Paul taught a few weeks ago, and he was talking about brotherly kindness one of the passages that he was reading. That was what kind of sparked me thinking about this whole passage this morning. The brotherly kindness. Unity isn't that we all agree on everything. Unity is that there's a brotherly kindness that's like a banner over our relationship. There's a unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now we go to the next two verses that are a little tougher for us in our culture to understand, primarily because of our relationship with oil. Not oil for your car, but salad oil, olive oil. In Israel, olive oil is a big deal. Olive oil is something that you use to, heat, to, to light your, um, your building. Olive oil was more important to us than it is in our culture. Our main function for salad oil is to make French fries. It seems that way. In Israel, oil was everything from a light source to a cooking source to a cosmetic. Gethsemane means the place where they press the olives to make oil. And oil was talked about as the oil of gladness. So verse 2 says, It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Of all the things I could least like to have happen is for you to pour salad oil on my head. And I'm a youth pastor, so I have to admit, that gives me some great ideas. But it's not something we can relate to. So let's look at, break it down so we can try to understand how this is a blessing in talking about unity. Two functions for oil. One for religious ceremonies. It was used to pour over the head of someone selected by God as leader to show that God's anointing and empowerment were placed on that leader. Two, in a desert land where skin was dried out and weathered, it was like that moisturizing, fragrant, moisturizing oil that moisturized the dried out skin. Now, some of you guys have worked with cement before. 
You ever work with cement all day, come home the next day, you wash up, and your hand just turns to leather? And you go for the, the, moist, the skin moisturizer, and that just completely moisturizes back into your hand the, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the moisture that just dries, dries right out of your hand. So first notice that oil is poured on Aaron the high priest. Aaron's the high priest. He's the one that united the nation of Israel. It was poured over him in a quantity. It wasn't just a little bit of oil. And not only did this oil moisturize, but it had a sweet aroma to it. So here's this quantity of oil being poured over Aaron's head. And as it's poured over his head, everyone around is smelling the perfume, smelling the scent of this. And as it poured over his head, down onto his beard, down onto his robe, on his robe were the the stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So all of the tribes of Israel are now coated in this oil. And Aaron's coated in this oil. And there's this great picture of unity. Some think this psalm was written by David when all the tribes unanimously got together and voted David in or, select, or received. God put David in as, as king. But the, the tribes all unanimously got together and received David as their king. Second, the whole idea of being dried up in a desert land. Psalm 63.1 says, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Sometimes our souls get dried up. Sometimes you just feel like, you know, reading the word, you just don't even, it's not interesting. Sometimes you feel like relationships dry up. Sometimes marriages dry up. Sometimes friendships dry up. And what God is saying here in this picture of oil is this moisturizing that comes in and brings this unity that's like a dried hand that's suddenly moisturized and doesn't feel all dried out. Verse 3 says, it's like the dew of Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Dew is a weird thing. Okay, I don't even understand how dew works. I mean, you go outside, where does dew come from? I mean, I tried to look it upside, so to have a little bit of an understanding. Basically, warm air carries more moisture, right? A hot, muggy night has moisture in the air. When it gets near something cold, it lets go of the moisture. So the warm air at night carrying the moisture, when it's a clear night out, the soil cools down quicker, and the dew forms everywhere. Genesis talks about the dew of heaven. But it's a great picture of unity because dew is everywhere. Not only is it everywhere, but it's fertile. I think, I think we bought a dogwood tree. My wife always wanted a dogwood tree. We got this dogwood tree. We planted it. It is the most dried out bush you have ever seen right now. It is so dried out that I've been watering it, and the, the, the ground is so dry it'll hardly take the water. So I took a five-gallon bucket, and I drilled a hole in it, and I put the bucket near the tree, and I fill the bucket with water, and the water just slowly trickles into the tree. But the whole idea of being watered, that is a great message for us this morning. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to fill us and water us and make us soft and gentle and able to work together in a, as a unified team. Then there's the whole idea of this Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, I had no idea, had any significance when it talks about water. I had no idea. I was looking a little research into that. Mount Hermon, for two-thirds of the year, was covered by snow, and it was visible from Israel. 
So here's these guys that live in a desert, and they look off into the distance, and they see Mount Hermon, and it's this snow-covered mountain that feeds all the River Jordan, and it is exactly what God wants us to see when we feel dried out. We want to see that he is there, and he has the facility, he has the ability to, to water us and to refresh us. So Zion is often used as a synonym for Jerusalem or the temple. It also talks about specific mountain or mountains near Jerusalem. So I hope we have a little bit of a hunger and thirst for unity. Now I want to look at three practical applications. Three practical applications. How do we get there? Number one, be there when your team needs you. You want team unity? When your wife needs you, be there. Be there when your kids need you. Be there when you're called by God to some ministry. Be there because that's, that's part of the team unity. Be there when your team needs you. Number two, practice love covers a multitude of sins. And number three, speak the truth in love. So the first one, be there when your team needs you. Loyalty is when you're there for someone when they're at their worst. You want team unity when your team member's at their worst? You're there for them. You're right there ready to help them. First job I ever got, I went to this warehouse. I get there, I've got an interview in a few minutes. I see a forklift, and I go, I know how to ride a forklift. So I, I don't know what I was thinking. I jump on the forklift. I haven't even met the guy that's the manager yet. I jump on the forklift, and I accidentally bump something, and the thing starts moving forward into the, into the wall that the offices are located on the other side. And I'm thinking there's two pedals on this thing. One of them's got to be the brake. I stepped on the wrong one. I'm pushing the wall to the office where the manager's on the other side. You know, I didn't, I got the job. And <laughs> that guy was there for me when I was at my worst. But if you, want a te- if you want a unified team, be there. Some of you guys are thinking about, you know, there's times when you are at your very worst. And if somebody loves you then, that creates team unity. So be there when you're at, be there for your team when they need you. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to just kind of look at a, a little overview of a specific example when Jonathan was there for David. 1 Samuel chapter 20. David's at his worst. He's about to defect to the enemy camp. Ever feel that way? Spiritually? Ever feel like you're about ready to defect? He's about ready to defect to the enemy camp. He's about ready to pretend that he's insane. David's at a low point in his life in 1 Samuel chapter 20. David's running out of friends who can help him. And at this point, he comes to Jonathan in a secret meeting because he's afraid that Jonathan's dad, King Saul, is going to kill him. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1. We'll only read a few verses out of this, out of this chapter, but I want to kind of highlight the idea that you want to have team unity, be there when your team needs you. Verse 1, then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will, not, will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is, it is not so. Look at verse 3. This is the one we want to hone in on. Talking about a unified team, be there when your team needs you. David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know, lest he be grieved. King Saul does not want Jonathan to be, does not want David to be king. 
And David and Jonathan have this friendship, and it's messing up Saul's plans. But look at this part. David says, truly, last part of verse 3, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. There is but a step between me and death. I am just a step away from totally losing it, from either being killed, or this is a bad situation. I'm at my worst, David. Look what, look what John, or John, he says that to Jonathan. David says that to Jonathan. Look what Jonathan says in verse 4. So Jonathan said to David, this is being there when you're needed. This is being there when your team needs you. Jonathan said, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. I'm willing to go against my own difficulties with my dad. I'm willing to go against the fact that if I help you, I'm going to lose my place as rightful king of Israel. Whatever you need, I'm there for you. So Jonathan supports David. And uh, we're not going to read the whole rest of this. The rest of this is that David says, well, go find out if your dad's really mad at me. I'm not going to show up for dinner. And you come back and tell me if he gets really mad. And what happens is Jonathan does that, and he tries to defend David a little bit. Jonathan's dad, King Saul, gets so mad at Jonathan that he throws the spear at Jonathan. He's already done that to David. But now he throws the spear at his own son. And look, skip over to... Uh, Skip over to verse 35. They basically set up a plan where Jonathan says, I'm going to shoot an arrow, and if it goes beyond you, you hide out by this rock. If the arrow goes beyond you, you need to get away because dad's really mad. If it goes in front of you, then you can stay. So we'll skip over to verse uh, 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, and he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go carry them to the city. Now he's alone with David. And he says, As soon as the lad had gone, David rose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed down three times. They kissed one another. They wept together. But David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord. May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. First point in the three applications, be there when your team needs you. Jonathan was there for David. And look at the intimacy that they had. Look at the team unity that they had. Number two, applications on how to have team unity. There's a million we could talk about, but a, a few short ones. Number two, Scriptures say that love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Does that mean we sweep everything under the carpet of that blanket? No, but do most of us, is, are most of us more likely to err on the side of grace or on the side of harshness? I mean, I tend to err on the side of harshness. And I think... It's the second service people that are the ones that err on the side of grace. I mean, they're, they're not here till 11, right? <laughs> but there's this, I don't think there's a great fear that we're going to misapply that verse 
that love covers a multitude of sins. I don't think we're, we're at risk that we're going to overly apply that verse. The junior high asked to go through the book of Revelation. We just taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Revelation with our junior high class. You think they missed the point that there is judgment? They chose to go through that book. It was a great experience for us. But we need to emphasize, as God does, that love covers a multitude of sins. James 2.13, and this was the text for the women's Bible study, says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Listen to this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, that doesn't mean that we sweep everything under the carpet. It just means there's a balance that mercy triumphs over judgment. I think, I think most of us tend to get hung up on what's fair. It's not fair, therefore you need to get the payment. You need to get in trouble because you did that because I wasn't fair. And I think James is saying, hey, mercy, not giving someone the punishment that they deserve, triumphs over the judgment. There's a balance. The second point, or the third point, the first one, be there when your team needs you. Second, practice love covers a multitude of sins. The third one, speak the truth in love. I know those sound like they're two different sides, which they are. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So there are times when you speak the truth in love. There are times when love covers a multitude of sins. Have you not had the experience with someone where you need to talk to them? You know you need to talk to them. And you're with them. And somehow you know this is not the time to talk to them. Have you not had that experience? Especially if you have teenagers and you, you, look, you look at them and you think, you think nah, I'm not going to talk about that right now. And the, and the Holy Spirit gives you that ability to know the difference in the time when you're supposed to love covers a multitude of sins and when you're supposed to speak the truth in love. We were in Panama. They had a course come down, and it was called Peacemakers. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a great course, actually. It's a seminar. And it talks about this slippery slope. There's peace um, breakers on one side of the slope who are people that are aggressive and intense and always picking a fight. They're peace breakers. There's people on the other side of the balance that are peace fakers. Everything's fine. And inside, they're ready to shoot you. And there's this, there's this, there's this continuum. The peace, the peace breaker is the one that's going to get violent. The peace faker is the one that is eventually going to turn inward. Some actually turn to suicide. And in the top of this slippery slope is a balanced place in life, which is a peacemaker. And I hate to tell you this, but taking that course will not solve our problems. You, you know, the course was great. I loved it. I still struggle with that. There's only really a solution to that problem is that our hearts are so immersed in the Word of God that as we're trying to decide, do I, does love cover a multitude of sins or do I speak the truth in love? The Holy Spirit brings that Word to life and we know this is the correct path to walk in. Or we've spent time in the presence of the Lord and in that time where we're quiet and waiting on him, he's guiding and leading us to know the difference between those two sides. So, in conclusion, three things, three applications. Number one, be there when your team really needs you. Number two, practice love covers a multitude of sins. And number three, speak the truth in love. Now, we started this morning talking about 
the story of the campers that were urgently setting up their camp. They had, a, they had a vision, they had a mission, they had a reason to get their camp set up. And then we talked a lot about the camaraderie of, of different events we have at church. But I purposely didn't talk about one thing when we were talking about that. If you notice the camaraderie we, we, ha we have with events at church, there's a focus. The mission trip to bring the gospel to people that have not been reached for Christ. The community meal to reach out and physically meet needs of people that have specific needs. Vacation Bible School, take kids who are invited to VBS to come in from the neighborhood that have no church background, introduce them to Jesus Christ. You want to have a unified team? Build your unified team around some sort of motive that has value and weight. Don't build your unified team about building your beautiful home so you can have a beautiful home. Beautiful marriage, so you can have a beautiful marriage. This is the prayer. Lord, I ask you to bless my marriage so that my marriage would be a blessing to my children, my grandchildren, my church, my ministry. There's this unified team and this camaraderie that's bigger than just my little world. So in closing, um, John Phillips, who has a commentary on Psalms 133, when he's talking about this unified thing, he said he had, his, he had his kids one day, they were walking around in the woods, and they were fighting. So he said to one kid, he said, pick up a stick. And you probably have heard this. He picks up a stick. He goes, okay, break it over your knee. Kid breaks it over his knee. He goes, okay, now pick up two sticks. He picks up two sticks. He goes, break those over your knee. Kid's a little tougher. Now pick up three sticks. Obviously, as he picks up a bundle of sticks and he can't break them, the dad, the author of the, of the uh, Psalms 133, or the, the commentary on Psalms 133 said, See how hard that is? See how strong we are when we're unified? So let's, let's go ahead and stand and pray. The worship team can come up. Then as we're, as we're praying and the worship team's leading us in worship, if you have prayer needs or maybe, maybe this morning... The thought of a unified team or wanting to be filled with that. You look out at Mount Hermon, you see all that refreshing that God has for you, and you want that refreshing. There's folks that will be willing to pray for you. We on either side of the, of the stage up here. Feel free to come up and be prayed for. Don't, don't leave this morning if you want to connect with God and would like to be prayed for. So, Father, this morning we are, we are so thankful, God, all the opportunities you give us for this rich, good, and pleasant fellowship and camaraderie. Lord, we have all these many, many opportunities to go away as, as men's retreats or women's retreats or for our youth to be together, our youth band to travel and to share your word, Lord, and to be growing together as they minister. Father, I pray that this morning that there'd be a, just a great impact in our lives. Lord, not just, not just a, a unified team that's around a sort of an empty goal, but Lord, unify us, draw us together in, in one goal supremely, Lord, to worship you, to know you better, Lord. Father, I pray that the, the ministry that you want to do here at Calvary Chapel South, Lord, would not be inhibited, Lord, by us having a shallow vision. Lord, I, I ask God that in cases where there's hurting relationships, and we really don't know whether to speak the truth in love or to practice love covers a multitude of sins. Lord, unite us and give us the wisdom to know the, the way to go in that. 
Use your word, Lord. Help us to have our hearts saturated with your word. Father, we commit our morning to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.